Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are here to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and every time we get a chance to do so, we are here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. That's what we do. That's what we try to do every week, and we're glad that the Lord has allowed us to do so. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this eliminating journey. Uh, several ways you can do so. The primary way is by calling 347-237-5230. That is the number if you want to get your thoughts live on the air. Uh, you can do that. Also, the chat room is open and available. Go to Block Talk Radio slash zero today, and the chat room is available, and you can share your thoughts there. You can also go to our Facebook page, Zero Network, on Facebook and like the page, and you can hear archive shows as well, share, as well as share your thoughts and comments on the current show topic there. That's always a good thing to do that. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter. The show uh, is at Zero Radio. That's the handle for the radio show, and my personal one is at Prophesy. And um, you can also... Uh, send me an email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com. So those are just the means, the ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, visit my website, lorenzotneal.com, and you can see articles and that we share, uh, stories that we share from across the great world wide web. Also, you can purchase a copy of my book and anything. We're trying to upgrade it, so we'll have a lot, uh, a lot more other things available to us. But anyway, it is April. It is April, and happy April to all of you. It is the first full week of April, and right now, members of the African Methodist Episcopal Church are gathering in the great city of Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, as we observe our uh, general board and council bishops meeting prior to our 200th anniversary of our first general conference, which will be held later in the same city, in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, later on in July. So uh, accommodations and prayers are to those who are traveling or who are already there participating and engaging in our great, great church. Of course, I'm here in the great state of Mississippi, slightly disappointed, but we're still here. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because our show topic today um, is really about being the voice of the oppressed. Uh, as Christians, as well as, uh, you know, is there real persecution going on in the American, in the American Christian church? Is there real persecution? Is the church being threatened? Uh, or, you know, 
is the is the church dying? All kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about that. And I want to talk about this since because um, it's deep thing. And as I talk about this subject, it's kind of personal. But uh, you know, where do we fit? Where does the the church fit collectively? Church universal, particularly the Western church, and uh, sharing the voice and being the voice of the oppressed. And caring for those who are oppressed or discriminated against, so all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so we're gonna get into uh, to that uh, later on today. So you're welcome to join us. But before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Eternal God, thank you for the day. We bless you for another day's journey. We're glad about it. We thank you for this opportunity to do the show. We pray, oh God, that you will let the words of our mouth, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in your name. Amen. So there's not a lot of headlines going on, but I, I did come across a couple of stories that I thought I would share uh, to open up the, the show today. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, gospel recording artist Israel Houghton, uh announced through his Facebook page that he and his wife were of 20 years were divorced. Um, because of some indiscretion that he had, and they had been working for at least five years, they said, uh, working to restore, but they could not uh, accomplish that. And as a result of that, they got divorced. And um, later on, it was announced uh, who his new his new girlfriend is, who happens to be um, Adrian Bailon. I think I said that right. Bailon, Bailon. Uh, she's a uh, personality movie actress and co-host of the uh, television show The Real that comes on Fox. And so both of them have confirmed that they are a couple. And she recently stated that uh, while they are a couple, she is not the reason for his divorce. Okay, so you know, you know that that that's that's news. But what has happened since then is really making news. Uh, if you're not aware, uh, Israel Halton was the minister of music or the worship leader or whatever they call it at uh, Joel Osteen's uh, church uh, down in Houston, Texas. Uh, he was uh, Lakewood Church. He was the worship leader for that church. And I don't know how long he was the worship leader, but he was the worship leader. And he has since, according to a uh, new release, press release uh, uh, from the um, from the church, Lakewood Church, that they have released Israel Halton from his duties as worship leader. And I was listening to um, Urban Family Radio on yesterday. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. It was either yesterday or uh, Monday where this they were discussing this. And the question came up is, where was the accountability while they were going through this process? Why was he... You know, why would, why didn't they ask him to step down if they were aware, if they were even aware of what was going on? But, you know, uh, while he was going through the divorce, he was still touring and doing all this. And, and I, I you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, I tread lightly with that because I am a divorced pastor. And uh, when I was going through my divorce, you know, I went to my leadership and I asked to sit down. I, I did. I, I asked asked to sit down. I, was, I didn't feel worthy uh, or able to carry out my call as a pastor because I was going through uh, this this issue. And you know, uh, through wise counsel, very very wise counsel. You know, they they advised me said, you know, this is part of an experience that you could use in ministry. And it has for the last twelve years. It's been a it's been uh, it's been a part of my ministry that I've been able to share. Um, and you know, they weren't so quick to sit me down. I wanted to sit myself down because of, but they you know, they understood a little bit. And because of that, I was able to write legislation that's part of our law now. Uh, that that um, has a place that does not condemn adultery. I mean. Uh, Divorce. <laughs> it does condemn adultery. Uh, but uh, I was able to create something that provides a, a sense of, of uh, care 
and, and establishing hope and restoration to those pastors who are going through a divorce or divorce and have not remarried. I have not remarried. And I find that a struggle in and of itself. Uh, but that's a that's a show for another day. So, you know, I, I've never been so one so quick to jump on or rush to judgment or rush to condemn persons or demand that they step down for any type of infidelity because I understand what it's like. Uh, infidelity doesn't always have to be uh, physical infidelity, you know, because there there's a lot of ways that we ministers and clergy are unfaithful to our partners, to our church. Uh, it's only when it gets to the point of, you know, embarrassment for some people that they will call for resignation. Um, so, so he, uh, basically, all remnants of of Halden has been wiped clean from the church. He's been his his like pictures been removed from the website and all this stuff. Um, now, I understand. I do understand the purpose of that, and I can't condemn it. But you know, we just have to be careful, especially if we are aware of someone going through marital issues. Uh, as as in our Reformation, we do have we have the means of helping hold uh, clergy accountable. We have uh, uh, committees that you know preachers can be referred to in our local assemblies. We have the quarterly conference system where even a church, if they're having an issue with their uh, their pastor or clergy, they can you know they can make an appeal to the quarterly conference to. The presiding elder, and it has to be adjudicated. You know that starts the process. You know it goes from there. A lot of churches don't have that, and so you know I want to admonish. You know, don't be. Well, how how can I put this? We must be careful and mindful, and strategic in the how and how we do certain things. You know, and we must always have the heart of Christ and that person. At hand, you know, and, and it certainly has in regarding regarding to Israel Halton's issue. It certainly has not. I I don't think it will harm his ministry per se. You know, there are a few who probably won't. You know, they'll wait for a little while for it to die down before you know inviting him back. But you know, that's the way of the world. That's that's how it is. And I don't think it's a ministry killer. Divorce is not a ministry killer. We definitely know adultery is not a ministry killer for some folk, uh, you know. Oh, but in some cases, you mess with that money. That's a ministry killer. <laughs> Don't mess with the church money. You ain't ever going to get to church. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. For some folk, that is, that's not the case. Uh, and, uh, what, you know what? And it brings me to this next point. Um, yeah. This is not a headline, but I just thought it interesting. In the United Methodist Church, uh, their lay organization or their uh, lay leadership is bringing legislation regarding uh, uh, what is called a guaranteed appointment in uh, lay vernacular or uh, pastoral tenure in more esteemed vernacular. And the reason I'm bringing this up because uh, in churches like mine where Ministers are itinerant and are, uh, you know, they're placed, they're moved, they're appointed to churches uh, by the Episcopal leadership, uh, by the bishop. So, uh, so basically, you know, it says that, you know, our, our, our law guarantees in so many ways that if you are an ordained itinerant elder in the Methodist church, that you can pretty much be assured that you will always have somewhere to pastor. And 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 that's a good thing because, you know, it helps ensure uh employment for some. But then there's the there's the bad side of that, bad side of that coin where unfortunately there are some clergy who are just ineffective, just maladministrative, they're just poor, they're just bad. And and their argument is that these pastors, these clergy should not Continually get appointed to churches where their performance record is abysmal, and you can imagine that. You know, it's like it's like a teacher who gains tenure and is a, is a horrible teacher, but they can't get fired 
because they have tenure. It's, it's sort of like that. Uh, guaranteed employment for the rest of their life till they choose to retire. You know, and in our in our Reformation, in the Methodist tradition, in the Catholic tradition, in the Episcopal tradition, Anglican tradition, we see, and, and in some other places, like uh, there's some uh, Lutheran churches that have the similar system, and I, I believe their uh, Seventh Day Adventists may have a similar uh, uh, similar administrative process where they appoint, uh, and and some some uh, some churches outside of some uh, like the Church of God in Christ is moving into that form of government where bishops are now appointing people to churches. Yeah, you know they're they're making appointments and. Even though those churches are are autonomous and uh, congregational, the bishop can, or in some cases, has appointed a preacher or pastor to those churches. Uh, but basically, they're saying that when bad pastors keep getting a bad keep getting appointments, and they all but kill churches, that that needs to stop. And I can understand that. I, I I can understand it from pastor's perspective. If I'm just if I pastor seven churches over let's say just ten years, because let's just say that they have the average uh, year and a half, you know, you know um, appointment. If I pastor seven churches in seven years, and each church that I I leave, I leave it in worse condition than when I got it. Then that's not a reflection on the church; it's a reflection on the leadership uh, or the appoint person appointed to the church. And, and we should we should care about the people. We, and in our in our again in our information, we have a uh, the pastors have a bill of rights, the clergy have a bill of rights. You know, particularly regarding appointments. You know, we can be appointed to. Um, According to our, our book of discipline, we can be appointed to a church, and if we're appointed, it has to be a lateral move, you know, the same level or a promotion. You know, we can't uh, by 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 law be demoted. You know, and now that there's just cause for demotion, then there yes there is, but you know, out of spite, some back in the day, you know, the bishops would would demote you if they just didn't like you or didn't get along with you. You know, you could be pastoring a, a lead church or big church, and if a uh, bishop just didn't think that you deserved it or if someone politicked long, hard enough to get it, then that's what happened. You know, they just moved you without considering, you know, what you were doing or if the church was successful. And I had that issue one time. I got moved from a church that was growing, and the bishop's uh, defense of the move was, well, you're growing the church, so I'm seeing what you're doing. I'm promoting you. But I'm like, you, know, you didn't give me a chance to, to, to do work here long enough to see if it was really worth it. But anyway, that's how it is. Uh, so I just thought I'd share that. Uh, it is what it is. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, uh, we'll get into the subject of the day. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm going to be speaking particularly from uh, – what just happened here in Mississippi. And so, you know, I got a lot. I'm, I, I've been, <laughs> my brain is, is on overdrive regarding this. <laughs> so but anyway, I digress. Take a break. We'll be back right after this. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realized that uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers, that's 
guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you, you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to their site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development with world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel, that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play, and that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. You know, millions of people are saved with Progressive, so I get invited to quite a few family gatherings. Heck, I saved Judith here a fortune with discounts like safe driver, multi-car, paperless. You make a mighty fine Mrs. Milady. I'm not saying Mark's thrifty. Let's just say I saved him $519, and it certainly didn't go toward that ring. Am I right? <laughs> so visit Progressive.com today. I call this one the Robot. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your happy host, <laughs> Pastor Lorenzo Neal. And uh, I got uh, a wonderful topic I want to get into. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a topic that's making my, my state, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, um, getting a lot of bad negative press. Well, we... we the last couple of weeks, we've been getting a lot of negative press. We had two bills uh, that's been passed by our state legislature that I I, uh, I personally lobbied against, and um, and and although one I could see the intent of it, uh, well, both had noble intents, and the authors of both uh, were seeking to what they believe to be acting in the best interest of. Uh, the citizens of the state of Mississippi. The first one was, it's called the Church Protection Act, and it allowed churches to establish uh, individuals in their, from their congregation to go through the proper training to receive uh, 
enhanced uh, uh, concealed carry weapon license. And basically, uh, you know, it allowed them to, most churches have security, you know, to watch the cars and whatnot, and, you know, help people park. Um, but that, that took it to another level by saying those persons who are part of that security team can now be armed, you know, a gun. And should anything, God forbid, happen as happened to our sister church in Emmanuel in uh, Charleston, South Carolina last year, that those those persons who have been designated by the leadership of the church to carry weapons can possibly uh, uh, bring to in a, a threatening situation. I, and 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 again, it sounds good, but the way it was presented, uh, it basically said that any person uh, could carry a concealed weapon in a purse or a shoulder holster without a permit, uh, except for those deemed uh, unfit to do so by uh, law because of felonies or other issues. And and again, you know, I'm a survivor of gun violence. I know many others who are survivors of gun violence, victims of gun violence. And to to you know, as a pastor, I, I just think it's a bit scary to to have someone in the church carrying a loaded weapon and I'm and I'm not aware of it. You know, now regards to those persons that I appoint or I designated to have so, yeah, that's a different thing. But uh to not know if anybody in my membership who may be visiting or may be a regular attendee, if they're armed and I'm unaware, <laughs> that's a scary thought. Uh, and then the second legislation has really, really made the headlines, largely because it's being, um, it's being, come, it's being portrayed as openly discriminatory act against those who are uh, same-sex couples. And in so many ways, it is. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Freedom of Conscience uh, Act. Some call it the Religious uh, Freedom Act and um, whatever as Religious Freedom Bill. It's similar to, um, uh, well, I take it back, the name, it was started as the Freedom of Conscience Act, but by the time it got back to the House after being passed through the Senate, it, it became a Religious, li- religious Liberty Accommodation. Act, and that basically said the, the initial intent of the bill was to protect those persons, those businesses, and or and those churches or pastors uh, from uh, government penalty, uh, basically lawsuits for not accommodating uh, or not performing. Uh, not accommodate same-sex couples, not performing a same-sex wedding, to prevent them to to protect them from from any penalty of doing so. Uh, but once the bill was now in its present form and has been passed uh, and signed into law, it it took on a whole different whole different thing. It shifted from being an act to protect. Uh, those persons, those businesses, and those churches or pastors or clergy from uh, punishment, penalty for their religious conviction. It has, it's so broad now, the language is so broad now that uh, it basically says, and I, I'm summarizing it, and you can you can go and you can see, you can go to the Mississippi State Legislature and you can read the entire bill. Or you can go to where, see where the governor signed it into law, the entire bill. But it is, it is saying that based on an individual's sincerely held religious belief uh, that they do not have to provide a service to this, to people, uh, same sex, or you know same sex marriage, or they went so far as to say uh uh not married 
So basically, a couple shacking up. <laughs> if a couple was shacking up, wanted to come to a bakery and they wanted a bakery for a baby shower that was out of wedlock, and that baker refused to provide the baker cake, you know, then you know, and they brought suit against the baker. Then they're saying that um, they were trying to protect the baker in this case, or or what you know. Anything else you can imagine, uh, and because of the breadth and, and broadness of this act, particularly aimed and targeted, because the the legislature who who uh, drafted the original bill, saying that because this is necessary because of the United States Supreme Court and what they chose to vote, you know, that now has made same-sex unions legal across the country. But it basically gives businesses and individuals the right to deny service to any person that they feel is part of the LGBT movement. And of course, you know, in North Carolina, they just voted uh, to say that um, that if you you go by whatever your birth certificate, the gender, whatever your birth certificate says. So if your birth certificate says that you're a male, then gosh darn it, you're still a male, even if you have become a transgender person. If you shifted from a male to a woman, you still got to go to the male bathroom where the urinals do not work for you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm making light of this, but, you know, um, here's the reason that I, I, I opposed particularly this last religious freedom bill is because, one, the short-sightedness of those who drafted it um, – and I say short-sightedness because in their mind, they're thinking they're acting as good, say, Christians. And good, say, Christians just don't tolerate. We don't have to tolerate sinful behavior. And we're going to let the, all these other folks know that we are good, loving Christians by saying we're not going to love or we're not going to tolerate or we're not going to provide service to those persons who are not what we consider to be good, loving Christians. Because good, loving Christians cannot be same-sex, loving persons. Uh, I'm not even going to get into that argument uh, where a person stands on that. But it, the idea of the discrimination that's, that's being presented here is, is crazy. And, and, and I thought in, in processing this, I was thinking it from a, an ethical perspective, you know. And I know most of the state legislatures took just maybe just a basic course in ethics. I'm quite sure they they understand the basic course of ethics because they have to they are held themselves to high ethical codes as legislators. And if they break, uh, if, if you know, if, if they contradict those ethical codes as legislatures, they can be brought up on ethical charges, you know, uh, through the ethics committee and all that stuff. However, you know, I, I doubt if they get the breadth, the depth of those, of an ethical argument uh, regarding this, because, it, you know, <laughs> and I turned to my friend, uh, not my friend, but I, 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 I I'm an academic, so you know, I got books on the lower. And I turned to one of my textbooks uh, that I had from an ethics class, uh, my doctoral program. And, you know, it was very enlightening, uh, that, that class, because uh, I, I thought I understood uh, moral law, and things of the nature and uh, the question of religious belief and more rules came into to play. And that really, you know, that, that made me almost wondering about some stuff <laughs> because the question is always, you know, for us deep who hold uh, scripture as our means of articulating morality and ethical behavior, you know, we we, we find a, a great sense of discomfort as we see what we believe to be 
a misappropriation of scripture, a misappropriation of uh, morality. And so, you know, we, we, we react instead of being proactive. And we love to use the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery as a means of, of showing how Jesus would have acted, you know. In, the, in that text in, in John, uh, it comes across as if Jesus is, uh, well, both in Jesus, John chapter 8 and in the story of Jesus with the woman and at the well, both he comes across as tolerant and understanding, compassionate. Um, with the woman at the well, in John chapter 4, of course, he tells her, he says, where's your husband? She says, I'm not married. He prophetically says, right, you are not married. You have been married five times, and the person that you are with now is not your husband. And yet still has a dialogue with her. And the only person who seemed to have a problem with it was the disciples who came up afterwards. Okay? And it was the Pharisees who brought the woman called it the adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus, wherever he was, um, for whatever reason, they brought him, this woman, not the man who she was in act with, but the woman, and when they brought, oh, I just knocked out my speaker, <laughs> when they brought her, um, they made sure to articulate the fact that she was caught at that very moment in the act, and what should be done. We know what the scripture says. The scripture says that she ought to be stoned. And so what are you going to do? What do you propose, you great teacher? And you know, this, you know the narrative says that he got down and rolled in the dust. And we don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, uh, all of her accusers who had stones dropped the stones and walked away from the oldest to the youngest. And when he looked up, he saw none of them, and he asked her, where are your accusers? And he tells her, well, neither do I, you know, condemn you, go and sin no more. Now, that's a powerful, powerful uh, uh, means of expressing the grace that we are experiencing every day, because we all commit sin, whether we care to admit it or not, by thought, word, the deed against God's divine majesty. So, we may not carry out physical acts of malfeasance against God's spirit or God's word or God's presence. We may not carry out physical acts, but I know, you know it's the eternal things that, that we do. That sometimes yeah, <laughs> probably grieves, grieves the Holy Spirit more than anything else. But from the, from the argument of, you know, which is greater authority, uh, moral authority, is it religious belief or moral rules? Okay, uh, is it based on the supremacy of a religious belief uh, or reason? Is it when we formulate arguments against things like what we don't agree with morally? And I'm not talking in the ethical sense, but just, you know, some things, you know, we know stealing is wrong. We know um, um, in some cases lying is wrong. Uh, you, you know, you go forth and go on uh, about what we all believe to be universally wrong. You should not, a person should not kill another person. Uh, we understand that. And yet we find it as as a government, we find it okay to kill another person if that person has killed another person by way of death penalty, capital punishment. Uh, but when you talk about, again, we are in a pluralistic world. And as much as I don't like some of the stuff that people do lifestyle-wise, some of the beliefs people hold uh, morally and religiously is not my job per se to condemn those persons or to say, well, you know, what I believe is more, uh, is, is greater than what you believe. And 
I can't articulate that in scripture. If you can, help me, help me, help me. I, I know I can quote a lot of uh, a lot of verses that would imply such, but contextually I can't. You know, I have to force it. But maybe I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, y'all help me. I, I'm well. I welcome it. I I really do. I welcome it because I don't want to be. I I I love learning, and I want to be. I want to be made right. I want a better understanding of, of this matter. Um, but again, from a pluralistic perspective, I I know that America, from its inception, the great a, a great deal of our uh, history is is formulated through the the eyes of scripture. A lot of our leaders uh, were Christians, if at best deists. Some of were, you know, deists because they're talking about the age of empiricism and reason was the all-time thing. And some of our founding fathers, uh, they had faith. Um, some was not as deep uh, as faith as we would like to believe, you know, as some would have us to believe, you know. But they did understand. They did have the basic concept of a creator, and in um, and they put forth that in in some of our sacred writings that we hold sacred as a country. Well, I doubt you know all men are created equal, and I doubt by the creator. You know, pursuit of love, happiness, and whatever else, y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going on the whim here, but. They also understood that eventually the nation will be, you know, diverse. And, and so by doing that, they protected the rights of that diversity through the First Amendment, particularly by saying that this nation should not establish a national religion. And my argument is that it should not, a state should not establish a state religion. Uh, or opine a particular religious belief over another. And I'm a faithful Christian, and I'm going to be a Christian as long as the you know I hold fast there until I'm pro- until it's proven to me. And I'm not talking about through regular arguments. And, uh, as I'm I'm saying as as Paul writes in First Corinthians 15, you know, unless it's proven that that Christ never died and never rose from the dead. Uh, rose from the dead then you know then I'll say well you know my faith was was not worth it but but that's not likely to happen and I know there are a lot of people who would dare argue that uh, <laughs> that counterpoint but it is what it is um I, I'm trying to go through all of this stuff and trying to I, I I had my my thoughts all sketched out and but <laughs> following my thoughts Without having had my medicine, y'all know how it is. You just get all over in place. But um, you know, we have we can understand that that there uh, people who adhere to what's called a divine command. The idea that um. Uh, whatever is good is good only because God is the one that makes it so, or wills it to be so, or or causes it to be that way, and um, that ultimately everything that we make, every decision we make morally, is made on the basic of on the basis of uh, or the idea that what God commands it to be. And it's not based on how we reason, what we reason. It's, you know, that's 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 that divine command theory. Um, and it does work for Christians because we we adhere most Christians, Protestant Christians, you know, uh, drawn from uh, sola scriptura. 
scripture only. Yeah. Faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone. So uh, those attributes are what most Protestant Christian and particularly evangelical Protestant Christians here in the States. It's what we adhere to. We supposedly govern ourselves according to scripture alone. And we preach that you can, and I, I heard it grow up, everything you need to know about life, you can find it in the Bible. Yeah, and that's true. If you want to learn how to kill somebody, you can find it in the Bible. You want to hear about rape, it's in the Bible. All this negative stuff, you know, it's in the Bible. And, of course, you find good happiness, you know, wise sayings and all kinds of, you know. And, of course, you, you hear the great gospel uh, in the Bible. It's all in there. And so by governing ourselves to that, you know, that works well with this idea of divine command. Uh, but then, you know, the the problem is with, with that, uh, we have to begin to ask, well, how can we know what is God's will regarding what is good? And when we start to act in vicariously, as Christ, you know, when we start to try to say, well, we think like Christ alone, you know, we know what, what Christ did, and we know that by doing, relegating our beliefs as this, that we're acting as Christ would. Because, you know, again, Christ was the Messiah of Jesus, he had a Messiah complex. He believed while he was there on earth, while he was here on earth, that, um, he had a mission to be Messiah. There were many like him who had the same missions, and they were all they all came to the same fate. They were all killed by the Roman state. Right? They were all killed by the Roman state. Uh, and we don't live in that type of environment now. There's no state oppressing our religious voice. Our state, our government. Gives employ to all who adhere to some type of religious ascription. Gives employ to them to be able to express that religious ascription without discrimination. So that's why we can have Wiccans, and that's why we can have the Church of Satan. That's why we can have a Lutheran, a Catholic, and Methodist, and Baptist, and Pentecostal, and Word of Faith. That's why we can have all of those expressions. That's why we can have the uh, the moon church or whatever it is, you know. That's why we can have all of that here in this country. And they can do it openly. That's why we can have mosques, Islam, Islamic mosques, both from the nation of Islam, under Farrakhan, and other mosques. That's why we can have Buddhist temples where you can come and, 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 and meditate, you know. That's why you have Hindu temples. That's why you have Catholic churches and convents and such because the forefathers believed that we should be able to do so indiscriminately, be able to worship indiscriminately and not declare that the United States is a Christian government. Now, several years ago, I'll never forget this. Uh, there was the, the uh, Benny Hinn did a crusade in one of the African countries. I, I want to say it was uh, Nigeria. I, I could be mistaken. Uh, but one in one of those African countries, he he did a, a crusade in. And the president of the country was on the telecast, and he declared publicly during that uh, Benny Hinn uh, uh, crusade that his country was a Christian country. And of course, there was to thunderous applause. And, and it's interesting because in Latin America, Central America, and South America and uh, various regions in Africa, Christianity, and particularly charismatic Pentecostal Christianity, is exploding. Also, in the Middle East, I mean, in Eastern Asia, and places like that, Philippines, and you're finding these movements where where oppression is great, where they are literally killing Christians, where they are literally forcing, particularly in China, uh, where they are forcing and closing down house churches and uh, places distinctly where they are to worship in 
in Pakistan, where our church is, you know, they they have they they have the ability to worship, but they are in certain provinces, you know, things that still under the threat of a Muslim government. Christians there can't get jobs because <laughs> the Muslims are literally oppressing them. If you're a Christian, you, you it's going to be hard for you to find employment in those countries. It's hard for you to have a decent uh, way of life. And you do live under the threat of death. Here in the States, we don't have that. And it grieves me when I hear that the church is being persecuted and uh, Christianity is being attacked. Yes, we are. There, there's some truth to that. There, there's some facts to that. There are, there are agents that are intentionally attempting to derail Christianity in some places, particularly those with, that they don't be, you know, you're not going to find them attacking liberal progressive Christian churches like the United Universalist Unitarian Church or United Churches of Christ, those more leaning, left-leaning churches. They're not attacking those churches because those churches are, you know, pretty much tolerant groups. But for those of us that are considered evangelical, that hold to uh, a strict adherence or a, a not a strict adherence, but a, a, an adherence of scripture as authoritative. And, you know, that those are the ones that are being attacked. And it's largely the legislation that we're finding here is, is largely a demonstration of that. And, and, and it makes me wonder, what, what is the, you know, I, I go by Paul Tillich's definition. Paul Tillich, Paul Tillich in his book, Dynamics of Faith, defined uh, faith as that which is the thing that which is uh, ultimate concern, that of ultimate concern. So whatever is your thing that is most concerning you, uh, and I'm probably not articulating it right. I could write it better than I could say it sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, um, but that which most concerns you is what he considers to be your ground faith, grounded faith. Um, it, it, you know, our spirituality, as 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 Tillich understands it, you know, it, it comprises uh, several facets. It doesn't just encompass uh, our our understanding and uh, attribution of scripture as authoritative, but it also encompasses our our cognitive. It compare encompasses our, our aesthetical understanding of our our environment and ourselves, as well as our social political. And it, when I presented, I had the opportunity earlier this year to present at the fifth anniversary uh, the Black Nonbelievers. Uh, meeting it. I included part of this in um, in in my presentation. Say, you know, as as Christians and particularly as Black Christians, we must be aware that yes, things are changing. And while we wish to be conservative in our efforts to defend the church to serve this present age, our calling to fulfill, we must also be aware of the change that it happened, and not just be reactionary to it. And, and this legislation is clearly reactionary. It's clearly, it's clearly saying that because of what some people did that seemed to infringe upon what we believe to be absolute truth. You know, they, they believe the word of God is the same. Uh, word is in, unchangeable, is inerrant, is infallible, and all of that. And that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If they hold fast to that idea, then, you know, there's a contradiction because God has changed. God is not killing folk. He is not commanding armies to go in and destroy cities and kill woman, man, and child. You know, so he, either he has changed or we have. Anyway, uh, within the context of the... Uh, totality of our human existence we express our 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 thoughts and our spirituality and when we fail to do so we find ourselves 
in this conundrum that we hear in the state of Mississippi. We find others who feel that not just their rights, but their religious expression and experience is being infringed upon because they don't agree with certain lifestyles. I don't agree with adultery. And if I know that, if I were to know personally uh, that a certain business owner's, you know, a certain business owner is an adulterer, well, I would not continue to support that person. Would I, would I continue to support that business if it was needed for me? Probably, because I would overlook the fact that this individual committed a discretion, but that discretion has not hampered or is not impairing upon his delivery of services. Oh, well. Man, where did time go? <laughs> I, I said all of that say that uh, while while we 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 need to be fully cognizant of what we believe and why we believe what we believe and how do we how do we um, carry out those beliefs in uh, our pluralistic world we need to be cognizant of that while at the same time employing what we see Jesus do in scripture. We see Jesus showing compassion, even being fully aware of indiscretions. We see Jesus being fully aware of these individuals' indiscretions and yet not acting and specifically stating to one person that if they can't condemn you, I don't also, but putting the putting in the implication that once now you receive that, don't go do what you did any longer. Now that's a whole different thing regarding regarding the LGBT community because you know there's an argument of whether people are born that way or whether people learn that way or become that way. I you know I've seen so many variants of that I don't even have an argument to counteract counteract any of that. But my whole my whole admonition is that, you know, we don't need to be reactionary. We need to be proactive. And while our leadership may sometimes have the best intent, and we, we see it throughout history, sometimes the leaders with the best intent cause the greater harm. Hitler has some of the best intent. Um, trust me, I'm not, uh, not saying Hitler was a good person by any means. But the intent for the betterment of people is what he initially started out, and that's how he got elected as a chancellor. You know, he made promises to make Germany great again. And, uh, and we see also there are many other leaders, highly flawed, who may have sincere intentions. We think about Jim Jones. When Jim Jones first began, you know, he, he was, his intent was to... Uh, create a, a place where all races could be together, even though he eventually perverted that and <laughs> led a thousand people to their death because of it. You know, but initially, you know, what he was doing was sincere. The intent of it. That's what drew people, that's what drew the thousands there to begin with. Uh, we must never allow sincerity to drive and, and to drive our actions sometimes because we can be as sincere as we want to be and be hurtful at the same time. I know from experience all too well. We got to do better. All right, I've run out of time. If you have, if you want to discuss this or any other thing, uh, simply again, we want you to visit uh, the Zero Network on Facebook. You go there, you can share your comments about the show. Send me an email, pastorromansandmill at gmail dot com. If you want to do it, uh, we we love to hear from you and appreciate it. Until we get back on this side next week, the Lord be with you. God bless you. We out of here. <laughs>